Okay, record button has been pressed. So once again, anything you say can and will be used against you in the blooper reel. As Kevin found out the hard way last week. I thought that was amusing. I thought I thought you had a good, uh, interesting voice there. Where we say our our heart will go on or something like that. Yeah, and is it just me or is somebody squeezing a mouse? expressed in the following are those of its participants and do not necessarily reflect those of the producers and the Six Talk Podcast Network. Also, the following contains mature material and mild language, which may not be suitable for all audiences. Discretion is advised. And the podcast has assembled on this Halloween night, October 31st, 2020. This is episode 27 of the Anime Roundtable version 2.0. Just a reminder, if you have any questions or comments, you can contact us. AnimeRoundtable at gmail.com is our email address. Twitter and Instagram at AnimeRoundtable. AnimeRoundtable.com is our website for show notes and the archive of past episodes. And, of course, if you enjoy what we're doing, drop us a 5-star, 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 5-star review wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and so forth. Mike Nicholas in the captain's chair at six points in the Toronto West End. Join it as usual by James Austin, Kevin Ng, and Mohamed Shamarki at their respective residences at various points further west. Okay. It is Halloween. We are now taping this well after dark, trick-or-treating, if it was supposed to have happened, would have been long over by now. But I don't know what it is like in your part of the world. Here in Ontario, or at least in the Toronto area, trick-or-treating was strongly discouraged this year. So I think the Halloween candy went on sale early. Definitely was at 50% early this week. That's what I saw that. And we saw zero people trick-or-treating out tonight, but we made sure our lights were turned off. Traditionally, I always bought the Halloween candy for my family. And I'd give it out at my parents' place. And then usually we'd have a lot left. My, my rule of thumb with candy is always buy something you'd want. So that if there's leftovers, there's leftovers. Great. Did anybody buy candy? No. No. Well, I bought I bought Eva Eva's chimney ice cream today. Oh, that's all your uh, trick or treating. So your treat the treats were for yourself and for my sister and my niece because it was buy one get one free. Good for you, Doc. James. Oh, we got some candy. Uh, one of those regular packs with the small snack size. So, like, we had Wonder Bar. I think we had some 
Kit Kat and Coffee Crisp and the good M&Ms shit. and M&M's and oh, Yeah, as whatnot. I said, stuff that you would want to keep for yourself, right? I also got a free Crunch Bar from Blaze Pizza. That's good, then. Love Crunch. Good, 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 good times. Was that on the pizza? <laughs> no, it was, they were just giving it out after 4 p.m., no purchase necessary. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. And because I was going to BMV downtown, and Blaze Pizza's right there, so I got one. You went on a shopping spree today, right? BMV. Yeah. The used book, that's the used bookstore, or the used media store, I guess. Yeah, I picked up After the Rain from Vertical, the first two volumes. I've been meaning to mm-hmm. read that one for a while. And yeah, you any other disappointed. Visits? Any other visits you made down there? Uh, I went so I went to both BMVs downtown. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So the one on Bloor and the one on uh, Edward Street near Young and Dundas Square. And then I actually did make a trip to the Harry Tarantula today too. Well, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. Wait, what? Hold on, what? Harry T still open? Yeah, still open in Midtown. Leon's still alive and kicking. Yeah, he's now instead of being across yeah. from Zanzibar, a strip club, they are now across <laughs> from a respectable <laughs> establishment called Loblaws, a grocery store. Across from Loblaws. They had another location at Young and Steel's too, but then they ended up moving further south yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. they teamed up with that fella, but they ended up uh, dissolving that partnership from what I heard. So it was just. Oh, I didn't realize it was a yeah, it was a partnership with a person up there, and they were using the name and stuff like that. And I think they were doing mostly for the tabletop games and stuff like that. And then mm. they had another location somewhere else, and that was a team up. And then that one, they just closed down, and then they moved that location, the central one we all knew about on Young Street, uh, just by Zanzibar up uh, to um, north of Lawrence and stuff like that Yeah, on Young Street. Because it's cheaper rents and stuff like that. There were, a lot of them are being either redeveloped, like you saw Young Street. It's kind of crazy, Kevin, that they've been destroying things to either do condominiums or God knows what. Remington's is gone now. <laughs> oh, Ow. yo, James, like, like, yo, Kevin, what? <laughs> yeah, Remington's is gone now because of the condo developments. But Zanzibar is still there because they own the building. Oh, wow. yeah, no, I and remember they COVID, didn't never, it with COVID. I don't think it's gonna last. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure they paid that building off. Still, probably long ago. I think no the brass rail is still near Young and Bloor, too. I think they're still there. I don't usually go that far up north, so I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's right next to the Chick fil A. And just for the record, I do not frequent these establishments. Which means you've just confirmed that you do. Only a person who We're said, talking about, like, this conversation goes from Toronto comic book shops to Toronto strip clubs. Well, you brought up Zanzibar. Me? No. James did. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's a point of thing, and plus, no one would know it's a strip club until you guys brought it up, so... I don't know. It kind of sounds like a strip bar name, if you ask me. And plus, remember the Incredible Hulk when they had the one scene across Young Street, and the only thing they kept was the Zanzibar sign. They didn't edit that sign. They had to keep it in. <laughs> Everything else was fine. 
I Great. mean, everything else was not fine. They kind of edited, but the Zanzibar sign and all that stayed unedited. It's kind of funny. Yeah, truth be told, I don't think the bars are worth it, so that's why I've never gone. Okay. But how is Harry T up at its new location? I've only passed by. I feel like it looks bigger on the inside and stuff like that, compared to when they were in their own, like it was in an apartment, so you went from room to room sort of deal, and it was very cloistered. I feel like very tight in the old location. Yes, it is much more spacious. And they actually have several tables like set up so that during pre-pandemic times, people would be able to play their card games or their tabletop RPGs like Warhammer. As I know, they had big clientele, yeah. Yeah, they. I think that's what makes most of their money the card games and the and the warhammer stuff uh they do still carry a lot of comics and they do still carry manga most of the manga and comics are not displayed interesting uh, so they're not in the ba- because i saw like the walls at the back and i wasn't sure if they had shelves in them that's where the manga and the comics or whatever they had so at the front near the door there is a section for new releases for both western comics and manga and then, okay, like they used there, to, yeah. Yep, and then there is one shelf that's smaller that has newer releases as well, and just popular stuff like My Hero Academia and Attack on Titan and Boruto and whatnot. The rest of the stuff is in the basement. Because oh, I did the basement. Oh, I didn't even know that. I just thought the main floor was all there was. So you can actually go further down for more stuff. If you ask Leon. Because oh, so I, yeah, him, that makes sense. Yeah, I asked him like, "Do you still have all your other manga from before?" And then he said, "Yeah, come with me." And then he took me to the basement, which is normally <laughs> not allowed. Like no- normally, customers are not allowed to go downstairs. But yeah, he took me down, and then uh, we shot the shit for twenty minutes while I looked at books. Uh, he was also shitting on Anime North. Well, he's a nice guy, but he has some interesting opinions if you've talked to him. At the risk of, uh, you know, jeopardizing our official status, yes, Anime North was discussed. There were good things and bad things brought up, but in any case, uh, we talked about that. We just talked about how he was coping with COVID, and pretty much you have to just ask if they have any of that stuff. If you want to ask for a specific thing, you just have to ask, Hmm. and then they can look for you. Oh, yeah, no, oh, yeah, I remember I, I some, talked. That was some good stuff. So what were you going to say, James? No, I think I, I talked to Leon the last time I talked to him. It was at that, remember the convention we went to at the convention center, Toronto Convention Center? Mike, was it IFF or whatever? Yeah, he was there, yeah. He was there. And so I was talking to him, and I talked to him about him moving up there and stuff like that. And he's saying, so far, so good. They're still there, so it must be doing okay for him. But obviously, COVID probably doesn't help. Yeah, they... They can't operate. They're not operating their cafe right now because they ha- they actually built in a cafe. Yo, there where you can order drinks and food, and it makes sense because you know when you're when you're playing around with magic or Pokemon or Yu Gi Oh or Way Schwartz or Carve Vanguard, whatever card game you're playing, you get hungry, and having that there is good to keep your clientele inside. <laughs> Well, you saw what they did, uh, and he might have got the idea too, is Silver Snail opened a location uh, by just north yeah. of Dundas Square, 
and yes. you go up these stairs and yeah. then it's like you go through and they have some selection whatever but at the front they have like the this starbucks area. cafe where you can get like some sandwiches some coffee and they do have a good a co- an actual coffee machine you know a latte machine and everything to make mm-hmm. the good stuff so it's not like they're just putting something in a paper cup and giving it to them so which was interesting yeah, I, I don't... i've always went in I actually haven't gone into Silicon in a few months, maybe even a year. Well, they just, they don't have a strong manga selection because that's not their main, that's not, their main clientele is in Western comics. So Mm -hmm. they, they carry some manga, but they don't carry that much. Yeah, it's like maybe one shelf at best. And a lot of them are certain ones you would expect, which are the Dark Horse ones or yeah. ones that are from indie comic uh, providers like Last Gas. So they do have the Barefoot Gen and some other stuff there. So it's yeah, not like you're have... getting, or the real popular ones from Viz, as you've stated before. Like yeah, Viz they'll have the Naruto and so on. Yeah, Pokemon. Or Academia. Like, uh, they'll carry stuff like Acura as well. Like, you know, the stuff that can cross over as well. But I, but obviously with most comic book shops, if you want to get something, they'll usually be able to try and pre-order it for you. Because why deny yeah. that business? They can get through the previews, so it shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I think the only... I've never been to Harry Tarantulas in all my years. I, I, I can never recall going there. Never? Seriously. You could almost miss it. That can be the problem, too, because remember, you had to always remember the staircase and which one was to get up there. Wait, wait, you guys were just, like, discovering these stores accidentally? Like, it wasn't a purposeful mission? No, no. It was a purposeful mission, but you usually... Purposeful mission way back in the day, but you could miss it. Back in the day, sure. So so back in the day, if you were purposely trying to get the Harry T and then you missed it, it was like, just, I guess we missed it, guys. It's okay. It's over. Well, no. well, the first time I went to find stuff like that, I missed it because for some reason I thought it was like on the lower stuff like that. And then it's like, oh, it's up above in one of these lofts and stuff like that. Because, But it wasn't that hard after I found it. Mm-hmm. I, and they I, had I, the I, nice mural too, to help us out. It's so small. Yeah. <clears throat> well, as I was about, uh, mentioning, like oh, I had... had- the oh. cat. Sorry, sorry. The cat. Okay. The Harry T's cat. That's what I constantly remember as well. I didn't see the cats. Wait, the cats are dead? I don't know. I, I actually didn't... Had... I, I actually didn't think about the cats were... until you just brought them up. I actually don't know where they are. <laughs> I think they should still be alive because I know some of them, but yeah, I remember the cats and they'd always go along and jumping around, so interacting with everyone. <laughs> see, in my case... I really never went to those places. You know, I was just happy going to comic then and I was always busy. So I never made the downtown trips from Mississauga. Oh. Yeah, because they had a few downtown and people would like do the they do the around and stuff like that. So you'd see one million comics you'd see mm-hmm. which the, I which I went to once. And you would see um go further down to Harry T and then if you mm-hmm. went along you would go maybe to anime extreme and then uh beguiling if you went further afield and stuff like that so yeah like yeah. i i saw one million some years ago and that was the only time i ever went to it went to silver snail at one of their older locations oh back on the yeah yeah 
that's that was in the 90s and i actually got a like a robotech art book there once i believe oh i remember one year they, they did some midnight sale during fan expo and i remember mm-hmm. like getting 40 percent off on some manga like akira okay i'm Very trying to remember real. other places yeah i've been to Bagailing once or twice and one of those trips was with neil this was like 20 some odd years ago too so i haven't seen these places in in years oh i went to the beguiling a couple weeks ago Yes, you did mention that. Uh, yeah, we haven't. I haven't been to the new location. How is it? Other than the fact that he said he didn't have the same feel because he had to sell off a lot of stuff at the old location, right? Because it was packed with stuff. Remember too. Uh, only half the space is accessible to customers, and the manga is mostly inaccessible in the sense that you can only handle new releases and like some Shonen Jump stuff. Anything else that's back catalog, you just have to know what you want and ask, and then they'll check and bring it over to you. So you can't freely browse the manga section. Is it a COVID thing or just a space thing? It's a COVID thing. Okay. Yeah, I figured it was likely a COVID thing because they always had a strong back catalog for a lot of the manga. You mentioned Kimigori Orange Road. Did they have it there when you visited once? Uh, at Beguiling? Yeah. So, yes. This volume- is on the... Volumes 1 and 2 were in the new release section, even though it, they were not new releases. So they did that likely to acknowledge Izumi Matsumoto's death. Yes, you mentioned this to, a couple of weeks ago. And to probably try and pick up a couple extra sales. Who can blame them? I'm, I'm not sure about that, though, because I think what they did is they fulfilled all the Kickstarter backers and they printed a certain amount, right? So whatever mm-hmm. was excess, they sold, as they said, on their uh, website for uh, digital right. manga. And then I guess after that, they said, okay, I guess we have enough. And then they sent it off through either Diamond or through other distributors if people wanted to sell it and stuff like that. Because I know mm-hmm. Right Stuff had the first two volumes up too. Because I think they just printed the same amount for all the Omnibus volumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of them, it wasn't like onesies and twosies. They were pretty probably close and the amount they sold to everyone, because I think most people on their website in the Kickstarter probably got all six omnibuses. Yeah, I think you have to go through Diamond because Indigo does not have it on their website. Check yeah, I don't Amazon. think they went through the main Barnes and Nobles or Indigo. They didn't go through the main distribution stuff like that. So places like Right Stuff, and yeah, probably Diamond because it's smaller too. Hmm. Hmm. On that note, yes, I did finish the Kimigoro Orange Road manga in time for the interview with Kat Callahan. I talked with her last night, and which part do you want me to mention? The manga, or hint the interview a little bit before we move on? Let's talk I about mean, the manga the, first. Yeah, the manga. I'm finally glad to have been forced to read the whole thing. Got that done earlier in the week. First of all, I really am mad at myself for taking so long to have read it. On the topic of the Kickstarter, the six volumes of the big omnibuses are sitting here right behind me, but I read it through the ebook versions, the digital copies, because I was on that tier. They gave you both. Yeah, I can do both. And frankly, I just did not want to possibly damage my actual copies. I, I, I did this with 
Hello Friends, uh, Jerry Howarth's biography as well. ECW Press, which published that book, they have an offer in the back cover that says, just show proof of purchase, we can send you an ebook version as well. So that was a nice little uh, deal they had. And as I said, it brought back a lot of memories from the anime. So you'd see plot lines that I became familiar with in the anime, of course, set in the manga. This happens all the time, but then they are given a different context or some specific key parts of that story were changed. I mean, that's common in, in between anime and manga all the time. You see that all the time. But, and this is starting to touch a little bit on the conversation I had with Cat Callahan, your view of the series is different depending on what you were familiar with first. Cat told me she read the manga first before becoming familiar with the anime, and I have a differing view coming from watching the anime first and then coming to the manga many years later. And the characters, as they were in the manga, their personality traits, their motivations, maybe their specific roles, their plots, tend to change a little bit. And sometimes that ends up changing the whole feel and outcome. No, not, not the bottom line outcome, but how we ended up, like some of the chain of events between the anime and the manga versions of the of the characters. And if you remember Callahan's tribute a couple weeks ago, she had this part about how Hikaru was quite different from both the anime and manga versions, for starters. So that's actually a... a, a, a that We'll actually cover that more in length in the conversation. So that's one part to look forward to. And... Because of the way she acts in the anime, it kind of sets off a chain uh, of events that made sense in the way the anime ultimately ended. In the manga, she's a little different. And how, how the results of the events there change her slightly. It's a little bit more of an explanation. But... I'm encouraging you guys and everyone else listening to to listen to the interview when that goes up in a few days as well. I guess that's the first way I'll put it. My mind is still a little cloudy because we did that late last night and I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. And I haven't started editing that episode yet. And I'm really looking forward to re-listening to it again. And touch on all the topics we talked about and then sharing it with you guys because I'm hoping you guys have a, a thought or two, if, especially if you were familiar with the Chemical Orange Road story in some form. But we talked at length more about the story itself and then we came back to Matsumoto. At the very end, that's the basics of the of the conversation we had. But as I said, my biggest regret after all of this is reading the manga 
so, so far into the future. It had been years since I watched the anime, so I may give that a watch again. And see what details I did miss between the two. But, well, I don't know how much I should regret it, because it took so long for a real English translation of the manga to eventually show up too, right? 2016? 2017, was it? Like 2016 was the Kickstarter. And it took like two, three years for at least the digital copies to show up. I could have read it then. Then the actual books came sometime last year or something like that. Eh, you just shrug your shoulders. But there's something to look forward to. It's going to be a busy, busy week of editing. Oh, yeah. And whether, what other stuff in the interim happened in the last two weeks? Oh, thank you for confessing this, Kevin. Kevin, James, you have some explaining to do. So, so is it saying that we, we broke down the barriers and decided to go to a theater? Yeah, Kevin mentioned to me, you guys decided to go see Lupin in theaters. What the hell? <laughs> Went to go risk your life. We almost died. Almost. almost. It was a calculated risk. Okay, tell me about this. So, Just want to be sure that we did hold each other's hands and we did not contact any virus, just to let you know. We're still alive. What are you, you talking about? You hold your hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wait, James, whose hands are you holding the whole time, then? Uh, go. I'll, leave I'll, I'll leave that to your imagination, Mo. Don't worry. Go. <laughs> you did go see Lupin the Third. Now, all three of you have now gone to movie theaters in the co in COVID times. Way to go, guys. So well, tell, well, me about this, tell me about this experience. Where did you go see it? Winston Churchill. So that mm -hmm. was Oakville, just over the Oakville border. So one side of the border is modified stage two where theaters are closed. The other side, which is just a stone's throw away, is allowed to have theaters open. So go figure, right? But we went in and it looked like there wasn't too many people in the parking lot. And when you met me, there wasn't many people in front of the theater. It was very wide open, just not many people. And there was only four people in the theater behind us. So it was, and we were pretty well spaced out. And they had, I'm sure, the same blurb you saw, Mo, about uh, how to properly uh, conduct ourselves in the theater and stuff like that health-wise, that they wanted us out of the theater after we were done and to make sure we wore our masks and so on and so forth. Only around 24 to 26 seats were available for purchase anyway. Yeah, it was 26, so. And once again, only four of you were there. Yes. Well, actually, four behind us, and then us two would be six. So only six seats were sold to that uh, event. That aside, how was the movie? Just like any yep. usual good, fun, Lupin the Third TV special. It's hmm. kind of funny, because, like... If, um, of all the anime films that you would go and see in the theaters, it is the one that you would definitely, I wouldn't do it in these times because of COVID and stuff like that, but if it hadn't been that, I definitely would have gone and got some popcorn and a soda for that one, because <laughs> it is that type of movie where you can sit back, relax, turn off your brain and just enjoy it. And it was definitely a by the numbers Lupin, where basically... <laughs> 
they had Nazis. They actually, it was weird. They actually had a time period because it starts end of World War Two and then skips 10 years into the future. And Lupin, usually for a lot of the specials in the TV series, they never say when it takes place time-wise. You know what I mean? So it was interesting that way. And also the interesting thing is Kevin would say about the animation, because this is the first time they use like greedy CGI and all that other stuff. But when you see the stills, it doesn't look that great. But when you see it in motion, it was really impressive and stuff like that with the different car chases, the different stuff they did in the air. And then the different, I'd like to say, Indiana Jones sequences going through to get the treasure and stuff like that. Hmm. Just had to mention Indiana Jones since we got the news on Sean Connery this morning. We'll get yeah. to that a bit later. Okay. So anything else to mention or was it what? worth it? Honestly, like bottom line, was it worth it? Well, for that one, I'd say it was worth it. The one that is in the back of my mind we were talking about, Kevin, remember, is next month, uh, Anaplex announced that the Fate Stay Night third movie and the first two movies are going to come back to theaters to Canada. They did announce it for the States, but it's going to be in the Cineplexes. But that one, the first two movies, the double bill, I think... They'll get about the same amount of people if we're still in these type of restrictions. But the third movie is going to be the question mark because I think a lot of people want to see that movie. And judging by the Twitter, like the reaction to it, some people were aghast that saying that they were causing public health issues and stuff like that by putting people into theaters and why is it on Funimation now or some sort of like alternative digitally. And then there was other comments and I'll give an example of one comment where it was someone in Montreal, because remember, they are still not allowed to have theaters and restaurants and stuff like that. That said, they would drive all the way to Toronto or wherever they had to drive to get to see the third movie of Fate's Day Night. That sounds dangerous. So you know what I mean? And that is a bigger franchise. So I feel like even though it'll be like 26 seats or whatever seats, and more showings, I think you're going to see more people try to fight for those tickets. It'll be interesting to see where we're at during the pandemic at that point in a month's time. Do you think there'll be an aftermarket for like tickets? Wow, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting way to put it. Like, yo, Kevin, do you think like uh, eBay or or like a, like some kind of auction site, like, can we like StubHub movie tickets now? Is that a thing? Selling movie tickets on eBay? Yeah, with, could we do that with this type of shit? I feel like if these restrictions keep going on and the only theater in town is, you know, there, and it's like 26 seats, you know, buy early. Oh, I wouldn't, if I was really that scrupulous, I wouldn't go through eBay. I would just go through Facebook Marketplace or Kijiji. Yeah, I was going to say Kijiji or, yeah, the Facebook Marketplace if someone's going to do something crazy like that. Hmm. But of all the movies that, either G-Kids or Anaplex or whatever, I'd say, yeah, that Fate Stay, the third Fate Stay Night movie is probably going to be the one that's going to get people to go to the theater, but it depends on how they're going to weigh it. And the other reason is because, unlike Lupin, which is going to have its digital release December and physical release in January, the third Fate Stay Night movie is an Anaplex of America release, and that may not be till very late next year if they're lucky, and it's going to be a forty dollars point. Yeah, it's going to be more Blu-ray. Unlike what G Kids does with 
their more moderately priced, uh, regularly priced uh, Blu-rays and stuff like that, similar to normal movies. So there's something to note in the near future. Actually, good segue, actually. On the topic of Anaplex, or more like their parent company. Let's get right to it. So according to a report published by Nikkei Asia yesterday morning, Sony has entered into final negotiations to purchase Crunchyroll from Warner Media at a price tag of under one billion, roughly nine hundred fifty million. Oh, nine hundred fifty-seven million is what they were quoting. So a hundred billion yen, nine hundred fifty-seven million U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. And that's still crazy money when you think about it because they started at one point five billion U.S. dollars when the reports came out two months ago. That Warner Media, AT and T, whatever you want to call them, was looking to sell Crunchyroll. One one billion was thought to be the mark anyway, and it's funny that the report came out on Nikkei Asia because two months ago we were talking about an article they put out about Sony wanting to make anime figure more into their entertainment strategy and roll it more into the into their video games. And yeah, you could see that if they add that in, and many people are saying. Well, if they have these streaming uh, things and maybe they could add some other things to maybe make a more mainstream uh, streaming uh, site instead of what they tried before with Crackle. But time will tell. But if they do want to use Crunchyroll and uh, Funimation now and depending on how they do it, if they are going to put them together or if they are going to have like one as the worldwide uh, brand, which is Crunchyroll, because it's no more known worldwide and Funimation is the North American brand, maybe, then they could do that. But they could use it as a strategy for PlayStation Plus and say, hey, PlayStation Plus members, we'll, you can pay more for this and then you can get like your streaming, your video games and so on and so forth. So there's many plays they could do with this. Could you expect a bundle? On the topic of Apple, Apple came out came out with their Apple bundles this week. Could we start seeing a similar strategy here? Is that possible? Mm. It's possible, but it'd be further down the line, I feel. It definitely would be way further down the line. But for this, all we know from the Nikkei one, just to be clear, is nothing has been formalized or anything like that. All we know is this is, quote-unquote, final negotiations to acquire crunchy rule so anything could happen and it could be kiboshed and stuff like that they're still having the dust settle and it's almost even once they get that final hurdle done there still could be regulatory uh things they have to go through to finalize the sale and stuff like that just for example similar to how microsoft and uh, bethesda's uh, parent company uh, zenimax have to go they've formalized a sale and now they have to go through the regulatory hurdles before they can finally say yes we're done so they're still separate en- entities and stuff like that people are still talking about that one in the video game space mm-hmm. yeah. I, mean, I, I feel like by the time this deal becomes like solidified and sony might even think about doing bundling we're looking at like a second gen ps5 that's what I would say too. You like can, it'll so be well into the mid-cycle refresh. Yep. Yeah, it'll be well into the PS5, I think. So a few years down the road, three or that, four. 
bundle that all together. Just get a new PS5 and comes with a one-year subscription to Crunchyroll and Funimation and stuff. It's all, all going to be bundled together. It could drive things, yeah. No I, doubt about it. I mean, there's this thinking that subscriptions are the will be more the driver, not not as much hardware. And that and could be where the price is coming from, is the subscriptions, because you look mm. at the subscriber base for the paying subscribers and the non-paying, and Crunchyroll has one of the most valuable bases there is for a niche market and stuff like that, anime or otherwise. That's a key, that's a key phrase, I think. And that is way more than what Funimation has been able to do on their own ever since they started. A good market, I'll be, even if for something niche, that's a good way to put it, James. What's the reaction been? I mean, I, I look at the Kotaku version of the story and looking at the comments and, you know, take the comments with a grain of salt as always. It's Not the same for Anime it. News Network too. The comments are all over the place where you They're expect people the are... There's a surprising number of people who aren't against this. Yeah, many of them aren't. I'm... And then there's many talking about Monopoly and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. some of them are just against Venomation. There's some of those too because there's some people that have gra- axes, I guess, to grind against them and stuff like that. Well, everybody hates everybody. That's 2020, right? Or at least the last little while. But people hate certain things more, right? Imagine if, if Apple had bought Crunchyroll as opposed to Sony, right? I mean, perceptions of a lot of things. But then the thing is, is that now, well, they already have Funimation in North America, and now they're going to buy Crunchyroll too. So then it's going to be like Best Buy and Future Shop in Canada. Wow. That's, a, that's good. Very good. There's some like, I was looking at Justin Savakis, what he was saying, some of it was similar to what I was thinking too. Like at some point they're probably gonna combine Crunchyroll and Funimation now. And what'll happen is that'll probably be North American market. Other markets they'll probably use Crunchyroll because that is the more known commodity. And they've done it that before because in Australia and New Zealand, they don't actually use Funimation now. They use Madman. The one for Madman, which is um, Anime Lab, because that is the more known commodity, so they use Anime Lab. Yeah, it's like how in Australia, Burger King, uh, well, Burger King owns Hungry Jacks, but they always kept the Hungry Jacks name, because that was that the more is, recognizable that's a long, name. That's a long story. That's, we use EB Games yeah. instead of GameStop. Mm-hmm. That's a long story, actually, the whole Hungry Jacks thing. I think I told, I've mentioned that before. Hung, uh, it was a licensor it was a licensor before uh, with Burger King in Australia. That deal fell through, but they still uh, opened up and went with the Hungry Jack's name. But then decades later, Burger King did buy the subsidiary, but did keep the name. Yep. That's so, yeah, that's a fair, that's a fair uh, statement to make. And then Same thing they, with yeah, and EBD. also in France, they own Waka name as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they own uh, Manga UK and stuff like that. Now uh, they bought them out. So all of those are Crunchyroll, if it, this does go through, will probably be put under that umbrella and Funimation will still be the driver because that's who's was made the driving force in that group, as they said, when they were streamlining group, the Sony yeah. acquisitions. In that group, in that region, in this region. Mm-hmm. And but, worldwide, so. Well, the na- yeah, the name will be of some debate. I guess, but really let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. It'll just be like, they'll probably still keep their names, but it depends on region, how they want to proceed. 
as they said too, like I know I was looking through the list just as the other one was likely, yes, we're going to see lower licensing fees, which makes some of the people in Japan unhappy and stuff like that. And we have so we'll have to see how that goes. The, the thing though is what we have seen that may offset that a little is some of them have been going to get production seats. So in some of the most recent seasons, we've seen Funimation on the production committees of many animes. And we've actually seen the general manager, because remember, Gen is no longer leading the ship at Funimation. It's Colin Decker is leading as the general manager. So he's the one that has mm. an exclusive producer credit on some of these ones where they have a seat. And that's like Fruits Basket and a few other ones that I've seen this season, like Grace of the Gods and stuff like that. And there's a few others that they have had where they have that credit on the production. So that could continue. And of course they have that relationship with Bill Billy um, in China and stuff like that. So that's another one to think about. So that lowers the fees again. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, as we said, we talked about streamlining and layoffs and that definitely could happen because this time it's not a partnership between two separate companies. They'll probably be together, which is probably is, not... Is this is more their, like not really a merger, but certainly under this under the same umbrella for sure. And it all is going to depend. Like some people that may have been working to push them outward for Funimation now, maybe not doing anything anymore and let go because they will use the people at Crunchyroll. Whereas maybe certain other things in North America they will give to the Funimation people, and they might cut some of the crunch. So it could go any way depending on how they want to merge them in together. And those take a few years too probably as well so it's not like it's there'll probably be a yeah there'll be a shakedown a uh, examination of all personnel and that's normal of course and no that, that happens all the that happens all the time to maximize or optimize and the other thing which we've always talked about too is those deals remember that Crunchyroll has had after they finished uh, that cooperation with uh, Funimation they've had deals with Sentai which they just did and with uh, discotheque for certain series and stuff like that to release them physically. So those are obviously going to be off the table. It'll be interesting to see what happens with those deals they already had, especially the one they recently signed with Sentai, because I'm sure uh, John Leatherford and that it's like, if they were going over that contract, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And I'd want to make sure that if I sign that contract, I'm still going to get that money going in if I release them and all that other stuff and how long that's going to last. Oh, okay. man. Because you never know. They might just pull out and say, hey, this clause in the contract says, guess what? We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to Funimation. But that could also be bad on the end that Sentai and Discotech were releasing some Crunchyroll licenses that they did sub-only. Mm -hmm. And that's something I don't think Funimation would do. So I'm going to give yeah. one example. Poco's Udon World, for example, was released sub-only by um, Discotech. I don't think that series, it would stay streaming, but it wouldn't get that physical release. So those ones will come into question that they still haven't released. That would be a sub-only play because I don't think Funimation would do that, even though they have done it, and I can count it on one hand, some sub-only releases. Yeah, there's only ever been And it's like you. one or two. Like Tatami Galaxy is one, and then they did one for uh, Nichijo, but Nichijo, they went back and redubbed. So there was a couple others in the past, and I just don't remember their name, but they were like, one was a pretty pervy show, from what I recall, and then another one was, 
Yeah, don't remember. But for a lot of those, I think uh, they won't get, uh, they'll be lost into the streaming uh, world, so to speak, which is kind of sad because some of them are some good shows. And another one I can think of, we'll see what happens with because it'll have a second season in the winter season is uh, Laid Back Camp. His Laid Back Camp has just been sitting on Crunchyroll and they haven't done anything with it, but it definitely has a fan base and stuff like that. So I'm surprised they haven't dubbed it. I mean, that, that seems to be the only way smaller companies can still get in if basically they'll get the, they'll get scraps from within. I mean, it's sort of like coming back to Kimmy Orange Road. That was a Shonen Jump title for the longest time. You would have hoped Viz could have gotten their hands on it. But then it all, like more than a decade after the DVD release, it was Digital Manga that got it. And they didn't care about those ones. Like, if it, anyone was getting it, I think it would have been Raijin and stuff like that because they had done the 80s stuff, like the City Hunter and so on. And, mm-hmm. so forth. and Raijin wasn't around at that point. And then well, it did. And then, probably after they saw what happened with that, they were probably like, nope, we're not going to do those ones from way far back because our fans want the new and the, the newer stuff. You know what I mean? Like Naruto and so on and so forth. Yeah. yeah. And Bleach. So- and this is the scenario we this, these are the scenarios we could end up seeing play out here. And it's hard to say because Discotech they still have the old uh, older series that they go after so I think they will be fine Sentai as we always said this is going to be a bullet in their heart depending on how they like to go forward because they're going to have to really stretch it to try and compete because they still try to go after those newer series and stuff like that and it'll hard to go against the buying power of sony and stuff like that yeah that, they're, they're they're interesting because even with them getting some investment and them reinvesting the in themselves isn't this is really, still... is that going to help that's the problem okay so i think reading some of the comments people seem to be okay with it because they think it'll improve the quality of either the dubs or the subs yeah, some Anyone people some people that? like the Funimation dubs. Some people I know aren't exactly happy with the Funimation dubs because I know Crunchyroll went back to California and was dubbing out of Bang Zoom and then Studiopolis and stuff like that. So they're going to lose out. The California side is going to lose out. That's another one. But the, the other side is there aren't many other avenues to shop for producers, I guess. Yeah, they That's can shop around if they want, but... Some of them, they said, it's like, if it's the devil they know, a lot of the times they'll go with the devil they know and stuff like that. Because they yeah. know Sony well, and the stuff like they that. know over the devil they don't. Well, the other devil could be Netflix. We're going to talk about Netflix in the next segment. Oh. But that's where we stand at the moment. So the so really, it's, it's a further consolidation into the major players. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say. We'll see what happens if it does close. It's kind of... That number, though, is still crazy if they close it at $957 million. And the reason why it's crazy is because, remember, Sony Television Entertainment in 2017, they um, closed the deal for Funimation for $143 million. And so that feels like a drop of the bucket. And, yeah, that tells said- you, and that tells you probably how streaming has kind of ascended and how they're valuing probably this deal. You know what I mean? Because it's probably and based on those subscription 
subscribers and stuff like that because we're seeing the 1 million subscribers, paying subscribers they talked about and so on and so forth and how they've grown. And plus, it's within Sony's MO. We we talked about that two months ago with the other article about wanting to place their animation operations more prominently in their entertainment strategies. Uh, yeah, now that I'm looking, so, so Crunchyroll, as of July, they had 3 million paying subscribers and then 70 million registered viewers. So those are the numbers that are probably the big thing to look at, mm-hmm. especially the 70 million registered users, because I'm sure that's way larger than what Funimation is getting. So that's something to think about. And that's nothing to sniff at, as we said, especially for a niche market and stuff like that, compared to, say, Netflix or some of the others like Disney Plus. And it, yeah, and it kind of helps. Like Crunchyroll was in the game longer than Funimation in the streaming side, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Like you can't blame Sony for wanting to do this. That's really what it is. But, you know, you want, it's interesting that like we see a further consolidation of anime options in North America. A little sad, I guess. Boy, or it's more reflective. Boy, things are changing by the blink of an eye. At least from my observation, having re-entered and started to reobserve this whole thing, it's a lot different than when when version one ended ten years ago. The thing, though, is yeah, the numbers have grown and these are big nerves, but sooner or later the party's going to stop and the bubble's going to burst again. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when the party stops and if yeah, that, they're well, still willing it, to look at the future as well. Perhaps, you know what I mean? Sure. I mean, trying you want to squeeze out as much income as you could out of these things. But, you know, we, we I think we had a version of this conversation also when we talked about Sony. Right? How? In what form is is it going to burst? Will it just evolve again? Remember, the market just grew older, but you want to get on their good side so that they can pass that on, pass on their fandom to their kids, mm-hmm. and appeal to their present day, to their present day. But they that's definitely... sort of the crux of the uh, conversation we had a couple months ago, right? But probably, as we have heard and stuff like that, it's probably better instead of being with AT&T, where we've heard many issues to be with Sony than AT&T and stuff like that. And Sony definitely would probably be in it for the long run. And it would play well, as they've said before, with their video game and their video game side, because we've seen it with the PS5 actually recently and the Xbox Series X. They were talking about all the streaming options that are going to be there day one. And guess what? Crunchyroll and Funimation now are going to be there day one for both the new consoles, for both Sony and Microsoft. So obviously that tells you something, that they're there with the big boys. Well, yeah. yeah. Further to your point, this is, a, this is a safe play ultimately for Sony because similar markets, it's a way to keep them in. Give the crossover markets, the overlap markets, overlap consumers that option. And they probably have seen it too, because a lot of people, when they were buying Blu-rays and all that other stuff, what was the actual Blu-ray player and what was the DVD player they were using back then? When it was DVD, it was the PS2. And then when it was Blu-ray, it was the PS3 and stuff like that. So they were the first adapters 
of those technologies and the anime uh, companies saw that firsthand that that's where they were playing and then their, all those discs mm-hmm. and probably and that and maybe that's now i don't know about that now for the streaming side probably it isn't uh, the video game consoles probably it's actually likely as we said the apple tv or the android device or the roku or so on and so forth mm-hmm. but i still i do it still on the video game console side still yep well we'll wait and see how this story ultimately evolves it, you know i there were other names i wish would have taken a kick at the tires and we, we we've talked about that privately and i guess that'll continue always too it's like there were other names that i thought could have been a fit but but hey, what they have the two pockets it's kind of that's tough. the other part well Probably I mean, it, the one name it, that we wanted that money to pay down their debt so they just were money hungry so it would have been tough it would have been i, I suppose but let's see what happens this is gonna like business well, is yeah. picking up We'll see if it actually uh, finalizes and they're actually able to get to the finish line because they still got to get there. It's like, as we said, this, this is, is just, just a report. And this yeah, is it's just a final report. negotiations. Yeah, but sure, it, it could happen, but it, just as quickly, could fall apart as well. When I heard about this because news, what was heard, your reaction? When I heard about this news, I just sighed. That's it? Okay. How, who, who wants a monopoly? The real answer is nobody. But for people who don't think about these things, they'll think, oh, great. I, now I can watch all my anime in one place or most of my anime. Yeah, that, that, that's, things, that's right? an argument. That's yeah, an argument. But that's an argument. They don't they realize don't that that means the prices for your streaming membership or your DVD Blu-ray purchase sales can just start creeping up higher and higher because there's not as much competition to go around so that they can just pay whatever price that they wish. Yeah, just add that dollar or two a month or five bucks annually, right? Is that what you're thinking? Yeah, and then granted with streaming, yes, there is competition because you have you have your Amazon and you have your Netflix and yes, High Dive still exists, but (laughs) You always want more competition. You hope. And that way, some of that tonight. money gets to the other side too, right? But of course, as we know, the production committees don't always get it down towards the actual studios and things like that. Yeah, but Like, we're damned if we do, and we're damned if we don't. Sometimes, as, yeah, but as if you read the history, sometimes that's of their own doing too, right? But we were looking, I was mm-hmm. looking at those comments too, I was thinking about Mike, and the funny thing, looking at some of the comments, is it feels like some of them, it's almost like it's a done deal. And that's the thing I laugh about is it's not a done deal. Just like I saw the same thing when I was looking at the one I mentioned before, where it was the Microsoft and the ZeniMax uh, purchase on the video game thing, where yes, it's been finalized, but they have to go through... Uh, regulation stuff like that to actually approve the deal that's so, where and so really that's even where then, that one isn't quite finalized but everyone when they were talking through comments they're like it's a done deal and so on and so forth it might be but you never know weird things have happened well yeah there might be a requirement to of somebody to divest something along the line mm-hmm. we've seen that before too but 
interesting story. And maybe it's, it went the way many thought it would when this story first broke two months ago. But that's really part of the streaming news this week. Let's take the break. When we return, there's a little bit of news when it comes to Netflix. There's a little bit of news when it comes to Amazon. Maybe I have a bit of an iPhone story as well to bore Mohammed and Kevin with. <laughs> That's when the Anime Roundtable returns. It's the Six Talk Podcast Network. Hey folks, my name is Brett and I'm one of the hosts of Skeleton House, an audio-only Let's Play podcast where my two friends Jess... What is happening? Oh my god! ...and Steve... Even he looks spooked. Play through video games, and I edit them, add context, and act as your eyeballs. Also, we have a cat. Come check us out at skeletonhouse.budsprout.com, or look up Skeleton House on your favorite podcast app. Or your least favorite podcast app. I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. And the podcast now continues. Nicholas Austin, Ing Shamarki, returning in conversation with you in front of a virtual audience and online by the Six Talk Podcast Network, official podcast, Anime North. Let's continue the conversation in a couple seconds. I did want to mention the iPhone because I joked two weeks ago, last time we were on, about ordering one. And last week, yes, I got it. What I forgot to mention to you guys was I actually ordered two accidentally. I ordered one, I ordered one in a regular iPhone 12 in 128 gigs, one in 256. I knew I was thinking between the two. Nothing huge. It took me a day to ultimately think about it. And ultimately, I went with the 128. Return the other. It's hilarious about returning the other. I had to. I did initially wait in the regular lineup, you know, because COVID. Wait in front of. You have to line up in front of the Apple store. I uh, I just sorry to butt in here, but I do love waiting in lines in general when you don't have to. Oh, it gets, oh that's where it got hilarious. No. That's that's where it got. No, well, not totally hilarious. I mean, you had the Apple employees come out and ask you, you know, what are you here for? And then when I just told them I'm returning something, they said, oh, yeah, well, let, let me bring you inside now because <laughs> we can bring you to the customer service line. And there was only one other person and they were already at the front. There not much of a wait at all. <laughs> there, and, there are times where they don't and they just you just stay in line. And so you only, <laughs> yeah, I was in line for only a couple minutes when I realized that. And then they pulled me out and then returned it, walked around the store for a couple minutes and then left. It, it was funny because I did I didn't open the other one, the one I didn't keep. And in the entire refund process, what took the most time was whether or not they should decide to check the phone because I didn't open the box. I didn't unseal the box at all. What's they that? obviously they want to check the contents. What's that? That's their intention. They actually debated with themselves for a couple minutes. Whether or not to actually check and seal, it, yeah. Don't they have uh, a way to seal it? You think they, they do, do ultimately, it. but but they they you know I guess they looked at my pretty face and trusted me. <laughs> we always checked when I worked at said video game 
chain at store. GameStop, right? Yeah, at, at 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 the Canadian GameStop, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But that's we always been that. company policy where regardless, they always said regardless of it, if it was sealed, they had to open and check regardless. They would never trust. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they just noticed that the thing was so even and neat that they figured I didn't open it at all. And plus, they saw me holding my the one For, I did choose to keep. And what your explanation was, which is you mm-hmm. accidentally got two and you decided this is the one you're keeping and this is the one you didn't want to keep. Yeah. That was it. That was it. So uh, a, a blue eye, a blue iPhone 12, 128. Nice uh, step up from the 7. Big difference. Nice phone. It's a nice phone for its time. I mean, the 7, I'm sure, was great when it first came out. Was it four years ago now, I believe? This, was a, this is pretty nice for its time. And of course, it already probably is yesterday's technology, and it'll even be a decade's past technology in a few years' time. But a nice phone. So let's continue. We talked in the first segment at length about Crunchyroll and Funimation. And as I said, that's only part of the streaming story this week. Because that was just breaking news and it just ended up dominating yesterday, at least in terms of anime fandom. But earlier this week, Netflix decided to do an anime-related presentation. I, I knew of it. And, and they announced a good handful of titles in a two-hour presentation. When was it? It was, it was earlier this week. What day of the week? Do you remember? Uh, James? I believe, well, it would have been Tuesday for us, but Wednesday for um, Japan, because it was held in Tokyo and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I believe. And it was interesting because they had the Japanese feed, but then they had the international feed, which was simultaneously interpreting in English. It was almost like uh, the Nintendo Switch when they revealed it uh, in the January, where they had one for the Japanese audience, and then the international audience got this interpretation in English, like simultaneously, this live stream, which was interesting. And they had interviews, they had trailers, so there was a lot going on. It was interesting. So, what stuck out to you? Like, I mean, there were a few titles that stuck out, at least in terms of what they announced for 2021. And I Netflix guess is going a little bit more into the anime stuff now. They must have been happy with what they found out in terms of their forays into anime licensing and pickups. And yeah, they, they were giving some numbers themselves. And some of the numbers were interesting, and maybe it's why they continue and why... Um, Sony is willing to probably pay that money for Crunchyroll if they ultimately do decide that. Go for it. Uh, Go for it, James. You mentioned it to me off air. So they were talking about, for Netflix itself, they said that over 100 million households globally watched at least one anime title on Netflix between October last year and September of 2020. And that represented an increase of 50% from the previous 2019. Now, I originally said to you, I thought that was because of one acquisition internationally that did not include the U.S., which was the Ghibli Library. And only recently became part of Canada. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I noticed, too, and I forgot that they mentioned this, there were some other titles that definitely were hits for them. And they said that what anime titles that appeared in top 10 lists in almost 100 countries so far they said 
Seven Deadly Sins was a hit because Backy. it became a top 10 title across over series and film over 70 countries since launch. And then they said Backy as well. You mentioned yeah, that. Those were, two, those were the two titles that I kept hearing. Those two yeah. titles, Seven Deadly Sins and Backy. And those were both anime series and stuff like that. And they talk about it with series and films they kind of put together, as they say. Mm-hmm. That's a big accomplishment for them. Yeah. And so... This whole, like they mentioned, it, it was in, in Tokyo. Netflix only recently opened up their operations there. Well, it's not four years is not that recent, but it was an interesting thing when it happened there. Netflix's appearance in Japan was a much talked about thing when it happened. And, uh, and maybe a bit of a punchline. It was often a punchline in the early episodes of Terrace House because you know, they picked up producing rights there. Mm-hmm. But this is like how the evolution of that operation has gone. This is a probably a key a benchmark moment for the Japanese operations of Netflix. Okay. Titles that caught your attention in the announcement. I, I, the one that sticks out is Way of the House Husband. Everybody seems to be talking about yeah. Way of the House Husband. Everyone and they finally the announced the anime, and it's and going to Netflix. And people were saying that because people are saying, oh, we need a, an anime of that and stuff like that. So people were excited, and then there were the people that weren't excited because they don't want it to be held back and... They don't want to binge it. They want it week by week like they normally do. So And they want to have a physical release of it because that is always not a guarantee. When oh, yes. Netflix we're talking about Netflix. Yes. And that's a not yeah. a guarantee, too, which I know is a problem. So there's good well, and there's, bad. The good well, and there's, bad. There's, there's, hope for, there's hope for you, Senta. No, just kidding. Wow. But yeah, Way of the House has been in, we've been talking about that before, like it won an Eisner, it's been winning awards, the manga in Japan, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, so, and people said they wanted it, it's been like one of the top ones people wanted an anime for, but they put the money in, and so people will be happy to watch it, but it'll be interesting to see the aftermarket, like will someone pick it up for that physical release, and how is Netflix going to do it. They have been better with some newer series. Like I know, for example, Great Pretender. That was one that was an original anime produced for Netflix by Studio Wit. And that one has come very fast after uh, it was first put on Netflix in Japan. But that one was interesting where they put 14 episodes up on Netflix in Japan first. And then a few months later, they got uh, it in... uh, the rest of the world and they've already done the last core of the nine episodes in japan and soon it's going to be on netflix worldwide i think in november this kind of so it's a quick turnaround because both were in 2020 mm-hmm. and that one actually i watched that as streaming probably with people and that's a great one from netflix japan and from studio with the great pretender a great pretender. Uh, it's basically kind of like Ocean's Eleven sort of thing. It's like about these oh, swimmers hey. and stuff like that. And so each one is an I'm, art. I'm going to write that title down just because you said Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, but the first arc of five episodes happens in L.A. And then second arc happens in Singapore. Third arc happens in Nice, France, and London, England. And then the last arc 
happens in um, Singapore and sorry, not Singapore. I meant to say Shanghai, and also happens in Japan as well in Tokyo. But it's interesting that basically it starts off with this Japanese swindler and he thinks he's the best swindler in Japan. And then he gets caught up in this scheme with this French swindler that takes him on this journey. And <laughs> it takes him from, in the first arc, from Tokyo to um, LA. And the interesting thing is they do play, it's not all in Japanese. They, you have English, you have French. So it feels very international. And the animation. It's very unique. It feels like, as one person said, an impressionist painting in some essences. <laughs> it's one way to put it. Well, it is. Until you see it, you don't quite... It's like, oh, that kind of makes sense in a way. But it's it's very different than what you normally see in anime. So it might be a breath of fresh air, as they say. For some yeah, people. well, I mean... But the first 14 episodes are up there internationally if you want to see a dub or sub. Okay. And even oh. the dub, supposedly, as I've seen people talking, you know, I watched it sub with people, but the dub was done by Navi Post, and they did some interesting choices. Like for the first episode, when they were in Japan, they left it all subtitled till they went to LA and then added the English voices in because they were talking in English. It was an interesting stylistic choice. Hmm. If you don't well, always see. I'll, the, the, I'm going to, I'll put that on my. I did great pretender. And then, obviously, if you call it The Great Pretender, what do you think they used for the ending song? The Great Pretender. But which version do you think they probably used? Not the original, but they probably did use the original. No, they used the Freddie Mercury one. Oh. Oh. Oh, That was interesting, and I'm sure Netflix helps in getting those types, because that must have been a licensing fee. But it works out so well when you hear the Freddie Mercury, and when they begin that ending, it's kind of like the music video from The Great Pretender when Freddie Mercury comes out, but instead of him, it's like a cat. (laughs) That does not look like Freddie Mercury. There you go. Well, okay. Well, any other titles that came out? During well, that, well, some like people I, were happy. I know that uh, the sequel for uh, be uh, the beginning, so it's be the beginning uh, succession. So season two is finally announced, and it's hopefully going to be out next year. And so that'll be interesting to see how that pans out because it was interesting for that first mm-hmm. season, and that was one of the first ones. Remember, we were talking about that came out uh, physically, and that was through uh, Anime Limited. So you never know. Hopefully uh, that has been doing well since it's been out uh, over a month and other series will be picked up from them from Netflix. I'll admit the only other title that caught my attention was, was how do I pronounce this? Therma? Therma Romai. Romai Romai. Nova. And that was interesting too that I talked to you about. Yes, we've talked about it in the past. So this one is, they're going to redo the series. And it looks like from the image that's going to be traditional anime animation, not like they did with the stop footage for the shorts they did before. But the other thing is that um, the original creator, Mari uh, Yamazaki, she is actually going to provide some new stories for that anime and stuff like that. Because based on the manga they have, they probably might not have enough 
or they might be able to add to it. So she's going to add some new stories, which is kind of a nice thing that the original creator is able to do that and work that closely with the production. And she was there at the presentation. She was one of the people they interviewed at the end and stuff like that. So that tells you that there's some love for this series and that obviously it's already been out there, right? But someone out there still loved it enough that said, hey, we can still sell this. Yeah, it's... And that you know, they somebody, can get the creator to create new stories too, right? So somebody like in too. that... Yeah, like somebody in that team just has like the most eclectic yet awesome taste because... Who would have thought we would now have three seasons of Baki the Grappler, of all things? <laughs> yeah, that's still going. Yeah, it's crazy. Because oh, they wow. announced the new season a little while back. I don't think it was announced at that event. It was announced before, if I'm not mistaken. But yep, before. But uh, like it's doing well for them because it's not the anime fan base mostly watching it. It's it's the general audience that's watching it, from what I'm understanding. Yeah, they're finding series that the general audience will watch, which is great. And they're bringing some other um, series that I think they think general audiences will look at. And a couple examples are Godzilla, Singular Point. That was when that was announced there. That one I could see working with uh, the general audience. And then the other one I'm thinking as well is the Pacific Rim, The Black. That's another anime they announced there that I could see crossing over with the mainstream too. And who would have ever thought we would get a new adaptation of Spriggan of all things? I was I was going to mention yes, Spriggan was announced, Spriggan. Too, and that that's kind of crazy too, right? Oh man, so there's there's a lot for everyone. I think there. The only thing, as you said, is that yes, they are going to do the binge model for everything outside of Japan and stuff like that. And yes, there still is that question mark. If you want to own it physically and own it forever in your library, forever who is going to pick it up and how many years is that going to be? Because it could be a long wait, right? That's yeah, the only thing. Like We're going to get no- to the whole bit about ownership in a couple seconds. But it's still great that they're supporting some of these series. And sometimes you think to yourself, well, if they don't support it, will someone else have picked up that series? I'm sure his husband, maybe someone else would have done, but that's not always the case with every series, right? So. <laughs> Sentai, oh, line one. Mo, did, did, Mo did, is there a thought you had? It looks like you wanted, you had a bit of a thought. Yeah, Baki's good. <laughs> <laughs> Which season of Baki should we watch? <laughs> I mean, it'll start from the beginning. It's, it's, just, it's just a good show, you know? I understand. I understand why it's so popular. It's a, it's a good show. Uh, by the way, did you finish Japan Sinks? Uh, <clears throat> no, uh, I actually switched over to this new one called uh, Blood of Zeus. By the same people who did Castlevania. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay, really that's good. interesting. It's yeah. really good. There's aspects to this whole story that ultimately doesn't surprise me. Going back to Therme Roma... Once again, we, it comes back to the whole idea of the original creator getting involved in some form of the production. That seems to be a bit of a trend these days. Or at least we hear more about it these days. Yeah. I mean, Fruits Basket, Yakuza. We talked about that in the past. Fruits Basket's an interesting one. I still think of that story quite a bit. <laughs> so maybe uh, the involvement just 
grabs my attention. And maybe just generally speaking, we, we, we talked a couple months ago about Netflix's involvement in the in anime generally speaking and how some productions were weary of it and then netflix doubles down people are weary of sony getting too much of the uh, streaming pie and here they are about to buy out their competition i i I think from netflix's point of view they're just gonna release audience general items like Pacific Rim, like the new Godzilla, like Castlevania, stuff that they know will get audience views as opposed to venturing out and obtaining newer niche items. Basically, they look for the next big, big thing. I, I guess I guess that, that's sort of what figured into them taking in Way of the House Husband. They know that's a thing for a lot of people right now. Yep. I think they've learned their lessons from earlier creations because a lot of the earlier netflix original anime stuff like not the stuff like seven deadly sins or knights of sidonia where it wasn't technically them putting money into it those were cases where they just licensed the titles but they still dubbed them netflix originals but the actual stuff they created earlier uh aren't that great they're mediocre one title just one title that's how I know where they are. I don't remember any of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair statement. Maybe somebody, uh, uh, maybe one of our listeners out there can give me a title. It also shows that I didn't look up this stuff in advance. But in any case, like this current batch is hey, pretty good. That's how the show works, dude. That's how the <laughs> show works. Don't I know it? <laughs> but also like, probably it helps that the Japan side has now grown and stuff like that. And they may have have more input, right? So... And they wow. did this presentation in Japan and stuff like that. So they have been helpful in guiding them to find those hits and stuff like that, that everyone across the world probably wants. And sometimes there's been that argument that you don't want to westernize the anime too much because that's what people like to bone it is its differentiation and its uniqueness being from Japan and that Japanness, right? Sometimes it's, Weirdly, it's it's a little bit more two way than people think, though. That's the I mean that coming and James, that's sort of uh, coming back to some of the passages from Pure Invention, mm-hmm. which I know uh, we'll get to that uh, at some point within the next month. Just trust us on that. But that sort of sticks out. Remember, we're at an interesting point now. There was this period in the aughts where you couldn't officially see any live-action Japanese television shows, officially. And now we're at a point where you can, where there's a little bit more of a trickle, 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 and then maybe a little bit more of a pour, if not a complete tsunami. It's, now, I'm not sure who has it, Mike, but it's funny you talk about live-action Japanese shows. And Way of the House Husband is now uh, live action on Japanese TV at the moment. And people are like, who's going to pick it up? Because there's no one has picked that up. And And so now they're joking about Netflix picking it up or somehow saying, you should pick that up too. Because people are saying it's great. Expect it to be a later thing. It's funny. There was another title, Erased. That's the one that sticks out in in my suggestions lists. I think there was a live action version initially, and then 
suddenly an animated version of the same series appears in my suggestion box. Which has me wondering, is it worth watching then? Well, it has me curious. So at some point, maybe when I get more time, I will. (laughs) More time. But it's just interesting. We're at a point now where we see a little bit more. More than we would have officially seen back then. I think in the aughts, I'm trying to think of the various live actions that would have had some sort of North American release. Maybe initial the initial D movie. Yeah, there most of them were the movies and stuff like that. There well, were no, that, was the, that was the Chinese initial D movie. Yeah, even though Anne Suzuki was in it, who uh, who at the time was a pretty big Japanese actress. Well, and and I was about to say Dencha Otoko because Viz Viz brought out the live action movie. And of that. Media Blasters had their live action Tokyo Shock, their mm-hmm. uh, line and stuff like that. And many of them were like, yeah, but, had different Godzilla movies, different. Horror movies, uh, but they, and they were more niche. But and we're talking these are, and these are and once again these are motion pictures, not television series. Yeah, they put out Honey and Clover and Nana. Those movies, as we mm-hmm. said, we got the GTO movie, but not the GTO live oh, action sure. series. Nope. You know what I mean? Nope. Right, well, and that's one how from Johnny's in that show. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? I think so. Oh, there you go. I'll double check. But I mean, that's the that's just from our our own viewing history, and then here we are depending on fan subs again. That's the story, and that's where we are. And Netflix in Japan was one of those things at the time. And keep in mind, as time has gone, we see more Korean stuff and a trickle of Chinese stuff too on Netflix and on other services like Viki. But it's interesting. It's interesting that Netflix has given a little bit more love to the anime side. Maybe in the same realm that Sony is reorganizing their strategy too. Because well, they're not the only ones. I suspect it's because there are at least one or two or maybe three individuals in that team who care. Kind of like maybe what happened with Crave when they got Sailor Moon. And... And they really wanted more Baki. Oh, that too, yes. And look how that panned out. Very got well. Something. You got something. And how did we not mention the JoJo spinoff amongst these new announcements? Like, that's... That's kind of a big deal. There were a lot of announcements. Like, it's crazy the amount of announcements they had for that that they laid out there next year. So they have a lot on their plate. And we'll put the, a link to the presentation in the show notes. One of the other announcements that we didn't talk about was High Rise Invasion, which is, uh, it's one of those, it's a, it looks like a pretty good action series. And uh, I'm sure Seven Seas is happy because they're the ones publishing the manga. So I was going to say it's based on manga. So yeah, they're, <laughs> they're bound to get more sales of their manga from that anime now, assuming <laughs> that it stays in print. Before then, who knows? Because yeah, a lot of the house has been as well. They'll get more uh, sales from that, of course. So, oh yeah, it all works together. It'll be interesting to see how Spriggan pans out, though. Too considering it's an older series that they're revamping and stuff like that. Hmm. How long? I know the Spriggan manga is old, but I don't know how old. It's from it is. the '80s, so. Oh uh, yeah. Because like the Baki manga is not going to happen. It's just too long. 
Oh, yeah, it was 1989 when the uh, spring manga came out and stuff like that. So, okay. oh, wow, it's Ryoji Minagawa that put that out. Damn, correct. Lots of older names. As I said, let's see what comes out. This is this is an interesting announcement. I have to watch this in full. The announcements. I and, and just for reference, my excuse for this week for missing that was I was setting up to do the Kimigori Orange Road thing. But it is still a worthy presentation to watch and stuff like that for any listeners and for us as well, if we want to <laughs> rewatch or watch it for the first time, because they do have the trailers and that, but they had some talks with uh, different people that were, were involved in the different projects. I think the first part, they kind of explained some of what was going on with Netflix uh, on the anime side and how it's done for them, which seems to be well so far. Yeah, well, a lot of uh, a lot of the Japanese properties, I think, have had a gained cult followings of sorts. Okay, so we move. Kuma show looks cute too. That that was the last of the new. Oh, which title? Rilakuma's Theme Park Adventure looks. Cute. Yeah, that well, that that has a cult following for sure. I I know that. Okay, so let's move on from Netflix to talk a little Amazon. Earlier this week, Amazon answered a lawsuit concerning an unfair competition and false advertising allegation. At its heart, it comes down to DRM and the ownership of digital files. Yeah, and so when you read the actual uh, article you were looking up there, Mike, the, one of the ones that was reported, this one I found was reported on the uh, Hollywood Reporter. And so the lady is based in California. That's where she filed her lawsuit. And so basically what it says is um, when an Amazon Prime uh, video user buys content on the platform, what they're really paying for is a limited license for on-demand viewing over an indefinite period of time. And they're warned that in the company's terms of use, that uh, the company's argument for why the lawsuit is basically over hypothetical future uh, deletions of content should be dismissed. And basically they're saying you don't uh, read the terms of use and you sign anyway, too bad, so sad, which I think is ridiculous, but that's what they're saying. And mm-hmm. so that's what they're talking about is that you have that content and then at any time they may take that away from you because you don't really own those video files or whatever. And so the lady is basically she's suing and saying her claim is that Amazon secretly reserves the right to end consumers access to content purchased through its prime video service. And it's a class action lawsuit on behalf of herself and any California residents who purchased video content from Amazon from April 25th, 2016 to the present. And then, of course, Amazon, as well as saying that she signed terms of use and whatever, the other reason they're saying that her claim should be dismissed is because she has purchased 13 titles on Prime since she filed her complaint, which is kind of ridiculous, too. You know what I mean? And it comes back down to another like version of a story we've constantly had in some form over the past number of years about digital files. It's not a huge surprise because we had that in Kindles some years back where some people who purchased, I think it was 1984, 
at it suddenly disappear from their own personal libraries? Answer this for me, though. If these are purchases from Amazon Video or Prime Video or whatever it is, mm -hmm. purchases, wouldn't there be an option for a local storage download? There is, but DRMs and stuff. I, I think I think the issue is complete ownership. Um, mm -hmm. Just because you purchase it via the iTunes. I mean, iTunes is probably better with DRMs and stuff now, but... I mean, Amazon, their video purchasing system is kind of wonky at best. Streaming is different. I guess you don't own streaming, so whatever, but... Yeah, you're paying haven't, Yeah, so I mean, but like when you purchase, like... I think a lot of people were, were hit with this when Vorak came out last week, and it was like people paid for it, and then they realized that they don't really own it. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, that was the complication, the interesting complication with Mulan on Disney Plus. Yep. One time fee, $30, $35. And you can stream it as many times as you want on Disney Plus. Whoa. Provide you still have an active membership. $8, I think it is. In perpetuity, forever and ever, amen. And... I think the key word is indefinite period as opposed to infinite period. Yeah. Yep. Which That's is a big difference. And, and I get that. And I understood the risk and I'll speak from personal personally, because remember all how many Yakuza games do I have in there? Seven, eight oh. Yakuza games I have in there right now. Those are digital downloads. And there's which could be pulled at any time and who knows or at least as technology goes at a point, I won't be able to play anymore. And people were talking about that again, Mike, at least on the video game side is because with the upcoming launch of the PS5 and that last week, well, not this week, but the week before they had shut down the web version, the browser version of the Sony PlayStation store to upgrade it, quote unquote. And when they were upgrading, basically they got rid of, all the PS3, all the PSP, and all the Vita games off the web browser store. The only Ooh. way now to <laughs> purchase those games is you have to own a PS3 or a Vita to purchase those games now. You can't get them any other way. You have to have yeah, You have to do it on the hardware, on the actual hardware itself. And so Ooh. that makes me wonder how long they're going to keep those going. Because that tells me there's a ticking clock on those. I don't think yeah, it'll I think continue. We, we have this conversation about about expiring technologies and stuff. And that's the scenario we're looking at here, I guess. And this and is why I always buy physical if the choice is there. Yeah, we, we've got that line. It's just... Can't stress that enough. Company. Oh, no. And my, and my own dilemma with the physical and is as long as you have something to play it on. It's nice to still have, like, I have a small pile of PS2 games. I don't have a working PS2 anymore. And there's no... What's the likelihood of at least some sort of legacy console out there that would be able to play it? It's likely. Third party. Yeah, you, get that, you, get that, well, you get that with cartridge versions. You know, I mean, why, I see that. I see you know why it's likely? Because... It is never in the best interest of these companies for you to 
only own one copy of this thing. They want you to buy it again and again and again. Oh, and well, we're talking about one of like the ways successive technologies, and, and this is one of the ways companies go about it. Oh yeah, I mean, the Nintendo has pulled these shenanigans time and time again. Oh sure, ask Mario. I get it. And then so this the, is nothing you know, new. Masters. Yeah, no. In some sense, yes. That that's that's accurate. I, I believe you on that. And we can say that with movies. It's interesting though, because think about it on the like video that. game side. It that's that's just very sly of them. Well, it's nothing personal. It's just business. Yeah. No, I was just thinking that at least with movies, they have you have the physical version and they give you the digital version sometimes along with uh, that physical copy. But in the video game sphere, they do not do that at all and stuff like that. It's like very interesting how things go. And then remember, a lot of indie studios, they're just digital. So that's even worse, right? On mm -hmm. that front. And they have so to you may never update. see those again. And that's what they talk about trying to preserve this history and it's hard enough them trying to preserve the stuff from the 80s and 90s that are starting to degrade mm -hmm. that's where and that's part of the dilemma well i mean as i said you're right trick people into just paying more than once paying a couple times over i mean this this all has a stem from like copyright law right i mean ownership of materials like anyone who creates anything ever isn't really the owner of it, I guess. I mean, if, if people own the works they produced, we wouldn't really be having this whole buy six copies of my movie kind of situation, right? And worse is if, like, if you were to shell out the money for, like, for instance, y Yakuza, like, I mean, this probably won't happen, but in the future, someone could buy the IP and then make all the DRM-compatible versions of the past null and void, and then, then what, you know? But it was interesting thinking about that. I was thinking of Danganronpa because that was released by um, NISA America over here originally. And then what happened is a few years ago, Spike Chunsoft basically came over and have started releasing their own games over here. And that includes Danganronpa on uh, PC. And they've just they actually had for just a few days but they actually took them off the playstation store for nisa and then supposedly they're going to be re-put up if not already by spike chinsoft which is interesting but that doesn't always happen when you have that being put out by a licensor and then the actual person who owns that content comes in to release it themselves so this is this is an evolving thing. I mean, we're we're in the early days of digital downloading, really. So there's still a lot to discover about how successive generations will go with this. I guess it depends on what different people think of ownership and stuff like that, because people younger look at it differently than us who are older. And for myself, ah, yes. digital, I'm Basically, looking at it. We're, we own nothing digitally that if I want it, I have to have that physical copy, whereas others are OK. Yeah, it's like disposable to them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, that's I, that's the, it could be a generation divide. You're right, because. Us in uh, in the older generation, me and you, James, specifically, by the way, belated happy birthday. Oh. Happy birthday, James. Happy birthday. Thank you for making me feel old, guys. We move slower to 
streaming technologies, we, we love our books, our paper books. We love our physical media. Shiny discs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Shiny, shiny plastic disc. That looks like metal. That looks like metal. Well, cassettes. Yeah, back in the, back in the day. And the good musty smell of paper. Mm-hmm. And it shifted. It has shifted. And that's sort of what I ended up discovering as Roundtable came back a couple years ago. And maybe uh, us as, uh, as people who lived through the physical media eras are still trying to still come to terms with it, getting used to the way it is now. Like for streaming, I feel streaming is kind of like TV, what TV used to be. It's like I can get a look at these and it's like, is this something I love that I want to continue to watch and stuff like that? Then I have that conversation in my head is this something I love that I actually want to own and support to the creators. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that, that's the other side. And whether that's through mm-hmm. merch, we get to whether see- that's buying the actual physical edition or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, yeah, that's the other side. It, uh, it is a better chance at, at being exposed to something in a good way. And, and for reference, for reference for on James's birthday, I know he's past the age of 33. So that that takes out the my idea for a gift for him. Which you know what that idea would have been? What? Huh? A Bible. <laughs> I, told, I told this joke before. What? Because, because you know, uh, here's a suggestion for a gift for somebody on their 33rd birthday. Give them a Bible and then give it to them with a note on the inside that says, Jesus did this at 33. What have you accomplished? Oh, <laughs> Which version of the Bible would you have given me, Mike? There's quite a Maybe few so. versions. Would you have yeah, given me the St. James? <laughs> Maybe the St. James one, yes. <laughs> because I'm Anglican? Yeah, might as well. Uh. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh. Okay, that could be. Anyway. Saw that coming. What? Yeah, yeah, I know. Right, you saw that coming. <laughs> right, down, you, right down Dundas, right? <laughs> okay, well. This is a this is an interesting story. We've seen versions of it before, so I, I still I still think about the early one with the Kindle. So who knows? Well, we'll uh, see be, how it I'll, goes, I'll right? It. Because you never. I mean, yeah, okay, maybe in a local stout. Uh, and once again, coming back to technology, local storage could be an option. Yes, but then you may you may not have means to play it in the future, way into the future. In the, in the famous words of Elsa from Frozen, let it go. <laughs> yeah, that's good too. Or the bag so I can barf in it. So that's about it. Okay, some Frozen. Some well, that's 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 that story. As I said, let's keep up with it. It'll be interesting. Okay, a couple recommendations before we end off this week. In the show notes, I'm going to place a link to NHK World's website, the annual Songs of Tokyo. Festival is presently airing. Traditionally, it airs in four parts. They air the first two parts on one weekend, and then the back two parts the following weekend. They're going to show the last two parts this weekend, tonight, with part four. And it'll be on their website for until the end of January. Songs of Tokyo was created as a way to showcase J-pop in the years leading up to the 
Tokyo Olympics, which obviously hasn't happened to this point. But it became popular enough that it's become a regular series on NHK World, which airs on Sunday nights here in North America. And they still do the festival. Although, obviously, with COVID restrictions this year, the presentation's a little different. All versions of Songs of Tokyo have taken place in the NHK auditorium on the main broadcast center. It's the same auditorium where they hold the Kohaku Utagasen every New Year's Eve, the Red and White show, which is the most traditional song and dance show that they have. And every year it's held in front of a large live audience. Obviously, you can't have that this year because it's 2020. So this year, all the performances are taking place, you know, on the usual stage, but facing them in the audience are just two large video screens full of people watching online and enjoying the show in that way. It's it's a little bit of a, I admit, cheesy look to look at. But hey, once again, it's 2020. That's just the way it is right now. Same show. It's not... I don't believe it's anything that's been airing domestically in Japan. This is a very international show because it's geared towards international overseas fans of Japanese music. Because um, in many respects, it's a slight brief interview show, and many of the artists in it are interviewed by their overseas fans, sometimes in Japanese, sometimes in English. Mm. What caught my attention this time around, this is the fourth edition of the Songs of Tokyo Festival. But increasingly over the years, they've added a bit more of an anisong component to it. Last year, they dedicated one of the four parts to all anisongs. And then this year, it's even more heavier. Each of the parts will have something associated with any songs. Mm. And, and, and of course, we'll be reminded of what we can't have here overseas, because I think one of the acts is related to the most recent Macross series. Oh. It's, it's worth a watch, and it'll be there for a little while. We'll put up the link there. And... At the end of our interview with Kat Callahan last night, she mentioned that Kimigori Orange Road got picked up by Retro Crush. Uh, what do we know about Retro Crush, James? What can you say about it? Because well, they did have uh, an interview uh, with the people uh, getting that off the ground because they're still getting it off the ground. They're still in beta for uh, Retro Crush, but. Um, at the moment, uh, there is a thing if you want to find out more about them from uh, the interview Anime News Network did with them. And basically, they are doing uh, retro anime streaming on their site or anime that isn't as well known from the aughts. And they've teamed up with different uh, people in Japan like TMS and Tezuka Animation, as well as Discotech. So there's a lot of Discotech's uh, classic stuff there as well. It's sub or dub and there is some stuff that isn't out physically like 
I think I talked about uh, Blackjack, that OVA series from the 90s mm-hmm. being Project Echo is there. I noticed yep. that. Alson and Lilia was just added uh, last month, and I think uh, Sentai lost the license to release that. So, oh. that is, so if you want to watch it legally, you can watch it there. At the moment, uh, for that, you can watch on their browser. They have it on, um, I think, Apple and Android and stuff like that as well. They do Apple. have. A, I, I did. Add, I did add the app to my new iPhone as well. So, and for how they're doing it, they've just started the rollout. So, I think if you do the premium, that you do not get the ads, and then you have thirty days free before they start charging you. But so far, they've just started to institute the ads because before I didn't see any ads, but the last week I've seen ads and the ads are too intrusive. It doesn't feel like there's too many in between. So I can be used to that because I was watching a day or two ago, um, Ashita no Joe, uh, Tomorrow's Joe first compilation movie that, uh, Discotech yes. released on Blu-ray, uh, a couple of years ago or so. Uh, on the topic of key titles in the history of the, uh, medium yeah and that uh, was a real it's a long uh, compilation film because it's two hours and 30 minutes but they packed the whole first ashita nojo uh, series into it and hit every mark so and yeah. yes it's the only boxing anime you'll see and they didn't even do this in uh haja uh ipo and that is someone dies in the ring of course as we all know hey oh hmm. I like their interface. Their interface is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their website, the random, the randomness is good. Oh yeah. Well, going back to Retro Crush, do we get our hopes up for them? I, 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 I mean, in what sense? We just talked. We just talk, Spent uh, an entire episode talking about the big players when it comes to anime streaming. Even that, and you can call Netflix one of them. And then you know, let's give a let's give a little love to some of the more nichier ones. I think great. It has there's there's something there. I mean, it looks like it would be a it's a worthwhile service. And they've only to. started like the beginning of this year, and so it's going to take a while to get them off the ground. But they've definitely been doing grassroots uh, marketing for starting their Discord and through their Twitter, and been gaining, I guess, followers. And they've worked through Discotech and anime news network so people are starting at least in the anime sphere to get uh, the word and stuff like that and they're like hey if you do like uh, some of the disco tech stuff check out uh, these guys as well because they have some of their stuff and some other stuff that has not been uh, released physically and there's also uh, jungle emperor leo the it's a newer movie that tuzeka tuzeka did uh, not this decade, but the decade before. So it's a newer Leo movie that has never been released over here in North America, and they're streaming it, and they have it with a dub that had never seen the lane. That dub was done uh, in Vancouver, out on the West Coast, and it wasn't mm-hmm. done by Ocean, too, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's, as I said, this this looks like it could be at least interesting and worth having in bookmarked, if nothing else. And and as I said, uh, since since it's on the heels of knowing Kimigo Orange Road is on it now, any no, there's no excuse to not watch it, even though it's been long on Crunchyroll as well. Yeah, and I think that one is coming later in November. That's when uh, Kimigo Orange Road is going to come to Retro Crush is later mm-hmm. in November, and it'll be apparently the entire entire thing OV, OVAs and movies as well. 
Correct, just like uh, Crunchyroll yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So people will have more options uh, to watch that, which can only be a good thing. Overall, yes. Well, we talked about Monopoly anyway. All right, well, that's uh, almost it. Well, let's look ahead to the coming week. Well, it's a big week, right? Aside from uh, Halloween. By the way, uh, no trick-or-treaters in your area, right? No attempts at trick-or-treating that you can tell? People never go to my house to trick-or-treat because I'm yeah, right behind a big road. Oh yeah. yeah well, same here. No, there's no one. Yeah, no, a single person. So everyone is heeding advice, which is a good thing. Probably. Uh, for reference, going back to our COVID beginning, this mo- most of the Toronto region is in the final final weeks of the modified stage two. I think we have one more week to go. I lost count, and then uh, we'll reassess and see w- what reopens and remains closed after that but yeah the, the the situation is messy all around a hot mess take a take a shot i, I think by the end of the year everyone's going to need to take a shot if not already so that's the story that's much of the covid story in the toronto area and we hope once again everybody else is doing staying healthy and then of course on that note Tuesday's coming, November 3rd. Big day. Wait, we're not going to talk about what happened to, uh, to, to what's-his-face today? To who? The famous woman beater. Sorry? That, that guy, James Bond. James Bond died today. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, I guess we should mention Can't that. Uh, yeah, we'd gone James on the Bond. entire episode, yes. We had gone pretty much the entire episode. Dude, that's Bad news does three. Come. That's three for three, guys. Bad news does come. I was going to say which one, but... Oh, boy. Yes, that's right. Uh, we woke up to the news this morning that Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90, the first person to play James Bond on film, among other things. Yeah, bad news does come in three. Bad news does come in three. Or alternatively, every time we tape an episode, someone famous dies. Well, that, that that's right. Every something bad, some someone famous uh, passes away around the time we do an episode every week. I'm every other week. next episode, Queen of England. You heard it here first. Oh yeah, and then just moving oh on from God. that. <laughs> oh, and and when it does come true, guys, when we tape our next episode, uh, you know, please tune in. No, it, it means if, I, if <laughs> no, Mohammed, if, if that really happens, we're gonna buy a lottery ticket together. <laughs> Aside from this episode, also look forward a little later this week. We'll put up our conversation with Cat Callahan and look back on the life and legacy of Izumi Matsumoto. And Kimigori Orange Road. It, it, just to end it, end, end it off, I looked around a little bit more just before we did that interview, and looked up some other fans. And maybe the most poignant tweet I saw since Matsumoto's death belonged to Peter Payne, the head of the J List shopping website, which sells oh. stuff. Yes, that Peter, yes, that Peter Payne. But he rose to prominence I mean, in fandom back in the 90s because he also translated the Shin Core light novels as a hobby. 
before he started J-List. That's where he became well-known to a lot of anime fans back in the day. What is Shankor? There was two follow-up novel, light novels from the, from the manga that followed Kyosuke and Madoka in college. Oh, Shin KRR. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I thought some random ass title really been, thought. Yeah, there's been, there hasn't been an official translation in, in English. So he, tra- he fan translated them. A fan translated the first two. There were three. And then that's where he gained a bit of notoriety with a lot of anime fans. He put a tweet up on the day Izumi Matsumoto's passing when it was made public knowledge. And the tweet just basically said, Matsumoto Senpai has gone to visit Madoka, which was a, which is a reference to the fact that the woman who played her in the anime, Hirumi Suru, passed away a few years ago too. And I thought that was a nice little touch that he acknowledged that part of it. Maybe by the same uh, same recollection, he, he's also gone to see Kurumi as well because her her voice actress also passed away back in 2013. And on that special note, good night from Toronto. Join us again for another edition of the Anime Roundtable. anything else we want to add well when you ended on that sense like i would feel bad if i talked about prison school (laughs) i was like man he's ending it on such a somber note now i can't talk about like perverted high school students peeing on each other oh for god's sakes (laughs) is that what is happening on tuesday there uh, kevin quite possibly